This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. If you would, uh, let's bow our heads together. I know it's after lunch. I know what that's like, having a meeting after lunch. So uh, let's pray that the Lord will help our food digest quickly, that he'll keep the blood in our minds and help us to be able to hear and, and to, to understand clearly. Father in heaven, I thank you so much, all of us do, for what you have done for us in your Son. Father, we ask for your blessing today. Father, you have, have created us to enjoy eating and fellowshipping one with another. We ask for your special blessing that you will grant unto us freedom to digest our food quickly and efficiently, and that you will keep our hearts and our minds focused on thee. Be with each of the speakers this week and this weekend, and we thank you for hearing and for answering. In the precious and the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, praise the Lord. They had to do some work on the camera, which was good, because that also gave them time to get our audio hooked up. So that means that for those of you that are interested, after we finish this session, I'll play that audio clip where they were interviewing Denzel Washington. And we're going to actually open this uh, session with something that I would like to have opened last one with. This is a, a short introduction to why this matters for Christians.
that last picture that we just saw, where it showed the Shaolin Temple, and it showed the monks coming out of the temple. And each of the monks was holding in their hands a golden ball, a golden globe, if you would. And I can remember when I first saw that, that picture, it was in a, a, a book that I purchased from the Shaolin Temple. And I saw that picture and I thought, what are these monks doing? All of them coming out of the temple holding this ball. And in the back of the book, there was a section there where you could read in Chinese and then you could read in English. And it actually tells what those monks are doing. What the Shaolin Temple literally says in their book and in that picture is, is that we are taking Chan Buddhism or Zen Buddhism into the world. Into all the world is literally what that says. And I read that and I thought, that's the Great Commission. This gospel shall, shall be proclaimed in all the world and then shall the end come, Jesus said. And the Shaolin Temple is saying the same thing. Um, one of the sessions with, that we had scheduled for today, we're probably going to be bumping it forward a little bit until tomorrow, but it's on yoga. Specifically, we really deal with yoga. And what was amazing to me when I first started doing the research, you know, I'd trained a little bit, you know, but I had never really got involved in yoga. But I knew it was the same thing. It was similar to Tai Chi and the other, you know, internal arts. But I knew that there was a connection because everything that's in China originated in India. The Shaolin Temple was founded by uh, an Indian uh, Hindu master. His name was Bodhidharma. And he came to China to make sure that the Chinese were teaching their religion correctly. And he had to modify Hinduism so that the Chinese could, it would fit their culture better. And he called it Chan, or Zen, is what the Japanese word is, Buddhism. That was his denomination for Hinduism. But anyway, what I found was, when I was doing the research on the yoga was, is that most of the yoga websites, and I, I want to encourage you, be careful before you do too much research, because you're going to run into things that you probably will wish that you hadn't have seen, but... Most of the Hindu websites will tell you that their number one goal has been the evangelism of the world with Hinduism. And that's their word. They actually use the word evangelize. And you wonder why we don't call ourselves Protestants anymore, but evangelicals. Anybody can be an evangelical. The Buddhists claim to be evangelicals. It just means you're trying to tell the world about your religion. Protestant has a completely different meaning. But what was amazing to me was that the Hindu websites said they were shocked at how quickly and how easily the evangelism had been, especially in the West. And uh, I was going to say, we've got more people looking for rooms. If you have chairs, 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have room up front. If you have an empty spot beside you, if you can just kind of consolidate a little bit. Um, I appreciate we having so many people that are interested. But what shocked me was is that the Hindu said we were so surprised at how quickly we could evangelize the West, primarily America and Europe. And they said there was one reason that had really made it easy for them to evangelize with Hinduism. Guess what that reason was? They said, we have our churches on every street corner. It's called a yoga studio. They literally said that. We have our churches on every corner. And you know who the, well, I need to leave that because we'll talk about that tomorrow. I could get going on yoga today and, and we've still got some other things we need to cover first. Not against flesh and blood. How many people are familiar with that verse? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Normally we can quote those verses as, as Christians, especially as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, but do we realize that that verse applies to you and I? Like we talked about last session, when you're having an argument with your wife, do you remember that you're not wrestling with flesh and blood? Now that doesn't mean you need to tell your wife, I think you have a demon, because that's going to really start... I mean, do you understand? I mean, I'm, I'm being serious. I know it's good to laugh, but I mean, you don't say that. That won't help. If you're in an argument with your boss, or if a police officer pulls you over, and maybe you don't feel like you deserve to be pulled over, and he's aggressive, and you feel like, you know, I'm going to put my guard up. You're not going to talk to me that way. I deserve better than this. If we take that approach, we believe we're wrestling with flesh and blood. And you know, if we think for a moment that we're fighting with flesh and blood, we're going to use carnal weapons. And you'll never win. You'll never win. You may win the argument, but you will never win the peace between you and your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your boss. We have to remember that who we're wrestling with is Satan and the fallen angels. And I don't want to go into too much of this too soon, but I do want to tell you something. Normally, when the devil speaks to us as Christians, he will not, and we've got room up front, guys. You're welcome to come up front. Um, normally, when Satan or one of his fallen angels speaks to a Christian, he will not speak to you in your voice or in his voice. Do you know why? Because if you hear a satanic voice or something that sounds really evil speaking in your mind, you're either going to call the pastor, you're going to get on your knees, I mean, you're going to start seeking the Lord, right? What Satan and his fallen angels normally do when they talk to us, 
they literally will whisper to us in our voice. And they know how to mimic our voice. I mean, that's easy for humans to do, right? You ever see a mime or somebody, a, a ventriloquist, or somebody that can copy someone else's, you know, tone of voice, their mannerism? I mean, I know some people, they can mimic actors, and it's like, you hear that actor talking. Fallen angels, it's a breeze. So they talk to us in our voice, because what that does is it makes our guard come down. And we think, those are my thoughts. And I'll give you an example. Most of us have heard this voice in our mind before. And uh, I'll, because I'm married, I'll use my wife and I. I come home, my wife's had a rough day. I don't know what she's been through, but she's had a rough day. I've had a rough day and she doesn't know what I've been through. And I walk in the door and I'm kind of gruff and short and don't really want to talk. And my wife is like, you know, where's the mail? And I'm like, and I hear this voice in my mind and I speak it. Well, it's in the mailbox. Where do you think it would be? I mean, you know, if you've had a rough day, you're like, well, that was, you hear a voice. That was a dumb question. It's probably in the mailbox. Did you not check the mailbox yet? Right? That's not kind. That's not at all kind. That's not Christ. But what if it's not you that put that thought in your head? What if that thought passed through your mind and the devil says, speak it, just speak it. I'll run the thought through your mind, but it only has power if you give voice to it. There's a place in Scripture where Jesus actually said, Take no thought saying, What shall I eat? What shall I drink? Just because the thought passes through your head doesn't mean you need to give it power by speaking it. God's Word says, that we have the power of life and death in our tongue. Therefore, speak life. That's one of the reasons why Jesus said, let your words be few. Okay, that's our introduction. Let's see if we've got... We may need a new battery for this thing. Is anybody in here familiar with these? It's in the computer. It's on. It's on. If you can, if you don't mind. If not, um, if it takes long, I mean, I've got another one. You want me to just use it? Yeah, yeah. All right, let me, let me see here real quick. Let's try this one. Hopefully the battery will work. I shouldn't have said that about going back to the, the days of the apostles, should I?
Let's see here. Hopefully our battery will work on this one. There we go. Okay, praise the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong. What's that say? In the Lord. I want you to make note of that. Be strong where? In the Lord. And in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God, of deity, of divinity, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I want you to make note of what these words mean. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, forces, superhuman influences, with delegated rights of control. That's the Greek definition. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavens. In the heavens. Not in, not in heaven where God lives, in the atmosphere. Even those spirits which now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. That means not even our own. So if I'm battling with sin in my life, and we normally try to fight sin in the strength of flesh and blood, I'm going to grit my teeth. I am, dear God, I will never do this again. And next day, next week, next month, you find yourself back on your knees asking God to we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, not even your own. Carnal weapons will not fix a problem. Spiritualism today. We've seen a little bit about the martial arts, you know, Time magazine, it's everywhere. The yoga, spiritism, they're blending spiritism with healing now through New Age healing techniques, and through Hollywood. We covered the Hollywood on the last one. If you're interested in more information on the healing, especially the healing, please come see us at our booth with Little Light Studios, because that session number four is, is very powerful. And if you don't have access to the internet, you can get that you know, on video from us, and you can get the others with it. If you just want that one, it's available online. Just type in the Dragon Revealed down under. Now I want you to look, look with me in a minute. There's a, a filmmaker named George Lucas who he and Disney just released this month. I think it's episode 8. Is that correct? But it's like the eighth film in the series, the Star Wars series. Listen to what George Lucas said in an interview with Time Magazine back in 1999. He said, I put the force into the movie in order to try to awaken a certain kind of spirituality in young people. More a belief in God than a belief in any particular religious system. 
I wanted to make it so that young people would begin to ask questions about the mystery. That's George Lucas. That's why he put the force in the movies. Those of us that were in martial arts for a couple of years, we knew what the force was. That was chi. Or if you're in Aikido, it was called ki. Or if you're in yoga, it's called prana. There's lots of different names for that power. They call it Oregon energy in the New Age. Or subtle or vibrational energy. Somebody starts talking to you about vibrational frequencies, it's New Age and occult right off the bat. You know that. And they will mix scientific terminology with that. Well, we have found that this oil has a resonant frequency of so many hertz, and that resonant vibrational energy passes through the body, and it sounds really good until you read a little deeper. Now let's see what the scripture says. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Remember what Lucas just said? He said that his purpose in the Star Wars film series was so that young people would ask questions about the mystery. There's two mysteries in the Bible, the mystery of iniquity and the mystery of godliness. Which one do you think he's talking about? The mystery of iniquity doth already work with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in those that perish because they received not the love of the truth the love of God's Word, that they might be saved. Do you know the only way for a person to be saved, and if you weren't aware of this, the word saved, that's the definition in Hebrew and Greek. That definition. I remember, and I'll never forget, one day I was talking to the Lord after the Lord had pulled me out of martial arts and He was working to restore my wife and my family and I, and I was still battling with certain sins in my life. There were immoral thoughts that would go through my head sometimes, and I was like, why are these thoughts there? Or memories from the past, or bitterness toward other people in my family, or resentment, or jealousy, or pride. And I was like, I want to be saved from these. And I read a verse in Romans, and it says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I was like, God, that seems too simple. And God said, Eric, you don't even know what the word saved means. I was like, of course. I'm talking to God out loud because I'm there at the house by myself. I mean, you know, we've done that. You, sometimes you may not voice it, but you're thinking it. You're like, what does that mean? And God said, Eric, you don't even know what the word saved means. So I looked it up. The word saved literally means delivered, rescued, set free, healed, and made whole. And the Bible says that you can know if you've been delivered, set free, rescued, healed, and made whole. You don't have to wait for Jesus to show up to know that. 
Because if you still don't know when he arrives, it's going to be too late. We need to know that now so that we can walk in victory and help others. The Bible says, for this cause, because men would not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, because they were deceived with the unrighteousness, for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And then it says that they all might be damned. That sounds scary to me. And I looked up that word and I was surprised. It means that they might remain condemned. That they might remain condemned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. John chapter 3 tells us this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light. Now I'm going to give you an example, uh, a secular example. When I was an instructor in martial arts, I would get a beginner that would come in, they had no experience, and I would teach them, or I would get one of the assistants to teach them, or a, a green belt to teach them, and show them how to stand correctly, and how to punch correctly, and how to block, and how to kick. And sometimes you would get somebody and they'd say, you know, I like it the way I did it before. And I would think, well, you came here to this school to learn. If, if you don't like this, I mean, go back to where you learned before. Why would you come here and pay money and, and take all this time if you're not interested in learning a better way? Jesus came. He showed us what a life of righteousness and godliness looks like. And I want to I challenge you with something, because on Sabbath we're going to be really focusing on this. When God sent His Son here to save mankind, it was not merely to change our character. And Ellen White even says this, not just our character is to be changed. The Bible says we are to be partakers of the divine nature. And if you look that word up, it's more than just character. It's the very essence. It's deity. That's why 1 John says, Now we are the sons and daughters of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be like. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. And Ellen White says, when Christ appears and the righteous are raised from the grave, and we which are alive and remain are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, she said, it's not your character that will then be changed. She said, your very nature, your very nature will become like Christ. She said, Adam will come forth from the grave and he will stand just a few short inches below the Son of God. And all of us will grow up to be like that. That's powerful. And I want to tell you something. That's what Satan is lying and telling people they will achieve through martial arts and yoga and tai chi 
and Qigong. He's telling them you will attain godhood. You will be immortal. Now, they don't teach that in the Taekwondo class, you know, the first couple of weeks. But once you've been in it and you reach master level, you know that's what the goal is. For we had the sentence of death in ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as if they already are. And I'm going to pause right there for a moment, because I want to challenge you. If you don't get anything else out of this series, this is the most important slide that we trust not in ourselves. That means for victory over sin, for achieving holiness, for whatever God has promised, you cannot gain it by trusting in yourself. You can't work really hard to make yourself holy. You can surrender so that God can come in and He'll make you holy. But that's what the occult also tells you you have to do. You have to yield so that those evil spirits can come in. You have to yield for a spirit to come in. You have to give them permission. How do we give permission to evil spirits to come into our lives? If you've got their stuff in your house, they've got every right to be at your house. Doesn't mean they're going to come inside of you. But if I've got an old ACDC t-shirt hanging in the closet, or if I've got a, an immoral magazine stuffed under the bed, don't be surprised if you have demons of lust and of hate and of anger, of violence, of bitterness that are in your life, that are influencing your thoughts. And you say, but why are they here? They're not inside me, but I can't make the thoughts go away. If you've opened the door, they're going to come in. So what you have to do to get rid of those evil spirits is you have to take away the rights that you've yielded to them. So if I'm there at the house and some young woman shows up and she knocks on the door and my wife goes to the door and she's like, you know, yes, what can I do for you? And she's like, hi, I'm here to see Eric. What do you think my wife's going to say? Who are you? Well, we knew each other in college. My wife's going to say, that's not what I asked. What's your name? And she'd say, oh, just get Eric for me. He'll know me. My wife's going to step outside and shut the door at that point. She's going to say, young lady, what right do you have to be here? I've been married to him for 24 years. She'll say, why don't you check his phone? He texted me yesterday. You want to ask me about what rights I have to be here? Why don't you check his little black book and see how many times he's called my number? Why don't you check and see if he's written to me an email? Why don't you see if he's written me any letters? Or why don't you check that little package or that little box that's under the bed where he still keeps photographs of me and some of the letters that we passed to one another when he was in college? You want to know what happens then? My wife loses her faith, wouldn't she? All of a sudden, she wouldn't be so gung-ho about, she'd be like, what? Do you understand? That's what Satan does to every human being. If you allow him 
the rights to your life. He'll take away your faith. He'll cause you to doubt who you are and what was paid for you upon Calvary. But I have to tell you a promise. Ellen White says the moment the sinner repents and takes hold by faith, she says that moment your sins are no longer upon you. You stand guiltless before the law of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The rights have to be canceled. You verbally say, Lord, I repent, I take back every right and every inch of ground that I have ever yielded to the enemy. I yield all to you, Jesus Christ. Whatever you want, I'm yours. That moment, the, the victory is won. Now I want to look at two words before we start this study. Grace. Most people like me think the word grace means um, unmerited favor. And yes, it does mean unmerited favor, but that's not the first definition. The first and most powerful definition of the word grace is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection as it is seen in the life. You're talking about the Spirit of Almighty God. The next word I want you to pay attention to is the word righteousness. That's a strong word. I mean, we hear about righteousness by faith, and you it's this big theological word. And I remember asking people, what is righteousness? They were like, it's right doing. I was like, well, I'm doing right, but I know I'm still not righteous. What am I doing wrong? What am I not doing? And God was like, Eric... Look the word up. Righteousness. It means to be just, innocent, holy, right, and righteous. And I was like, okay, I understand the words, but I need you to show me a picture of you making somebody righteous. Show me one picture in the Bible. And do you know what Jesus showed me? Luke chapter 5, a man with leprosy, we could call that full-blown AIDS today. His flesh is rotting, he's hopeless, it's irrecoverable, irrecoverable. Um, there's no fixing it. And he comes to Jesus, the crowd has scattered because it's contagious, and he throws himself on the dirt. And he says, thou son of David, which is a profession of faith, I know who you are. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And I, I think about Jesus, and this isn't in the scripture, but this is what I see, okay? When I look at the other scriptures, I see like what Jesus did with Jacob and what Jesus did with that woman that had the little girl that was demon-possessed. And I see Jesus look at this man and say, you've got leprosy. Um, why don't you go to the priest? Oh, sir, I've been to the church. They said this is God's judgment. They told me that the scripture says I made my bed lie in it. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe not in those words. God loves you. He forgave you. But you're going to have to just live with this the rest of your life. You made your bed lie in it. I can't find that verse in Scripture. I'm going to show you some verses that say the opposite. 
So then Jesus looks at the man and he says, have you been to the hospital? And he says, oh, sir, yes, I've been to the hospital, but they said they don't, they don't have any way of fixing this. And they said for me to go see the priest, and the priest said, God did this to me. I, you're the only hope I've got. And Jesus says, what do you think I'm going to be able to do? Testing this man's faith. The man said, I know if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And what did Jesus do? He said, I will be thou clean. Say that with me. Be thou clean. Do you remember what Jesus said in Genesis 1? Let there be light. And there was. Jesus now says, be ye clean. And you are. He says that in John chapter 15, verse 3. Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. He doesn't say go on a 12-week program. He doesn't say you better repent and beat yourself up like Martin Luther did. He says believe what I'm saying and stand up and walk. Because we don't have time for bench warmers. The game is almost over. Our condition through sin is unnatural, and the power that restores us must be supernatural, else it has no value. There is but one power that can break the hold of evil from the hearts of men, and that is the power of deity in Jesus Christ. Only through the blood of the crucified one is there cleansing from sin, now, I know it's after lunch, but I want to ask y'all a question. How does Jesus' blood cleanse mine and your sins? How? I need you to make it real for me. How does that happen? How? I mean, I know that's a, a dumb question, but it's like in my mind, I'm like, yes, I believe it. But How? So how does that cleanse me, though? Because it can cover me. It's like a debt. I run up a $1,000 debt, and my brother here comes along, and he's wealthy, and he says, I'll cover his debt. But that doesn't make me not a debtor. Yes, I don't owe it anymore, but I did owe it. How does it make it so that I never owed it? How? Amen, I agree with you. The Bible says, in that he died, he died unto sin once. Romans chapter 6 verse 10. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 that God chose you in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. That's Scripture. So if you were in Him before the foundation of the world, and He came here to this earth, and He won every victory against every temptation, and then He died and poured out His life and blood unto death, against sin. 
and you were in him when he died. The Bible says that, Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with, nevertheless, I live. Romans chapter 6 says we were buried with him by baptism, wherein also we are risen with him to walk in newness of life. If I was in him, then his death was my death. His victory is my victory. His righteousness is my righteousness. His resurrection is my resurrection. And we are joint heirs with him. Not in the future, today. Today. Listen to what Ellen White says. Only through the blood of the crucified one is there cleansing from sin. His grace alone can enable us to resist and subdue the tendencies of our fallen nature. That means when I'm facing the temptation, it's Christ in you that wins the victory. It's not your victory. It's His victory. We have got to stop praying, Lord, give me victory. Lord, give me your victory. I surrender. I'm willing to die. You take possession of, of my heart. The spiritualistic theories concerning God make his divine influence of no effect. Now you'll see why. Listen to George Lucas. I remember when I was 10 years old, I asked my mother, if there's only one God, why are there so many religions? I've been pondering that question ever since, and the conclusion I've come to is that all religions are true. The man that was interviewing him, Bill Moyer, said, is one religion as good as another? Lucas replied, I would say so. Do you see where this is going? Do we think that Hollywood and the martial arts and all this stuff is innocent entertainment? Coexist. It's leading the entire world to join and to believe the same God. Revelation chapter 16 says, I saw three unclean spirits. Do you remember at the beginning of last session, you had Protestantism grabbing hands with Rome with one hand and grabbing hands with Eastern mysticism and spiritualism with the other. That's three. Protestantism, Romanism, and spiritualism. Here's the same three mentioned again. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, like words, like tongues, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's spiritualism, out of the mouth of the beast, that's Rome, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's apostate Protestantism. These words, these spirits are coming out of their mouths. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. In this picture, this is a Chinese picture, 
What's coming out of that dragon's mouth? Water. Do you know if you go online and type in water, mouth, and dragon, you will find hundreds of Chinese statues showing water pouring out of a dragon's mouth. That's in Revelation. I saw the woman go into the wilderness and the dragon opened his mouth and poured out water like a flood so that she might be carried away by the flood. It's a flood of spiritual teaching. It's a flood of, of words that will cause us to doubt the word of the living God. The period of Christ's personal ministry among men was the time of the greatest activity for the forces of the kingdom of darkness. For ages, Satan with his evil angels had been seeking to control the bodies and the souls of men. But Jesus was revealing to men the character of God. He was breaking Satan's power and setting his captives free. New life and love and power from heaven were moving upon the hearts. The hearts. Your affection, the hearts of men. And the prince of evil was aroused to contend for the supremacy of his kingdom. Satan summoned all his forces and at every step he contested the work of Christ. In the days of Christ, and I want you to focus on this because this is talking about us. In the days of Christ, the leaders and teachers of Israel were powerless to resist the work of Satan. I cannot tell you how many people I called for help when I was struggling to get free before I finally found someone that could help me. And I can't tell you how many thousands of people have contacted my wife and I since 2008 with the same problem. I'm addicted to drugs, I'm addicted to pornography, I'm addicted to lust, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm rejected, I was abandoned by my father, I was abused, and I don't know how to get free. I've got thoughts running through my head. Christians, Seventh-day Adventist Christians are calling this every week saying, I don't know how to get free, and I've asked the people at my church, and they don't know what to do. We don't need to go into fanaticism. But let me tell you something. Open the scriptures. Open up the testimonies that we have been given and you will find how to be set free. They were neglecting the only means by which they could have withstood evil spirits. There was only one way. It was by the word of God that Christ overcame the wicked one. The life of Christ that gives life to the world is in His Word. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It was by His Word that Jesus healed disease and cast out demons. It was by His Word that He stilled the sea and raised the dead. And the people bore witness that His Word was with power. Now I want to challenge you to look something up today. I want you to go to John chapter 14. You can go after this meeting or sometime this evening. Go to John chapter 14 verse 10 and 11. Jesus said something when he was talking to the woman at the well. He said, God 
is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In John 14, Jesus was telling them, they were asking about the miracles he was doing. Jesus said, the words that I speak, it's not me speaking them. It's God that dwells inside of me that's doing the works. And when you read that, you go, oh, wow. That's what it means that the, the words I'm speaking to you, they are spirit and they are life. It is Almighty God, the Father, that was dwelling in Christ. The Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. And the new covenant promise is, not only will Christ come and live inside of you, but God Almighty, the Father, wants to come and live inside of you. And do you understand that if you will speak God's Word, it's not you doing it, it will be Him doing it. And there is no evil angel that can stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no temptation or no evil spirit that can ever possibly stand before the power of the living God. The Savior desired to fix the faith of His followers on the Word. When His visible presence should be withdrawn, the Word must be our source of power. For like our Master, we are to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. One of my favorite promises is in the book of Ezekiel. In that book, Israel is there like we are. And they actually cry out to God and they say, if our sins and our iniquities be upon us and we're consumed in them, that means we're, we're burned up in them, how do we then live? I mean, how do I get rid of this? I can't get rid of this disease. You want an apple tree and all I can bear is, you know, crab apples. How do I fix that? And do you know what God says? He answers them. In the next verse, they say, how shall we then live? He says, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts. You want to know how he lives? The just shall live by faith. When Jesus was raised from the tomb, the Bible says that every sin of every human being that has ever lived, he carried into the tomb. Do you all agree? There's, it's clear. I mean, I can show you Scripture for that. He paid for every sin. He not only paid for, but He became guilty of every sin as though He had done it Himself. When God the Father raised Him from the grave, what do you think Jesus did coming up out of the tomb knowing that I had Eric's adultery? I committed adultery. I committed murder. I committed, not that he really did, but he felt our guilt as if he had, Ellen White said. So God raises him. How does Christ go into heaven and have complete joy now? The just shall live by faith. 
Christ Jesus believed His Father. The Father told Him in eternity past in Zechariah chapter 3. The Father made a covenant of peace with His Son. He said, Son, they're going to fall, and there's only one way they can be redeemed. That's if you take their sins upon yourself. And Christ put His hand out and He said, Dad, Abba, Daddy, I promise I'll carry every one of them. Even if you let me die, I'll still carry them. And do you know what the Father said? He put His hand to His Son's hand and He said, And I swear to you an oath. In my own name, I will raise you from the grave and I will forgive every sin. Every sin. Zechariah 6.13 says, The counsel of peace shall be between them both. History is repeating with the open Bible before them and professing to reverence its teachings. Many of the religious leaders of our time are destroying faith in it as the Word of God. They busy themselves with dissecting the Word and they set their own opinions above its plainest statements. In their hands, God's Word loses its regenerating power. Regenerating means life-giving. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been to church on Sabbath and you felt like, Man, I, I, I needed to hear something that would raise me from the dead today. This is why infidelity runs riot and iniquity is so widespread. When Satan has undermined faith in the Bible, he directs men to other sources for light and power, and thus he insinuates himself. Those who turn from the plain teaching of Scripture and the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit are inviting the control of demons. Criticism and speculation concerning the Scriptures have opened the way for spiritism and theosophy, those modernized forms of ancient heathenism, to gain a foothold even in the professed churches of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What Satan literally was saying is, is you won't need a law to tell you what's right and wrong anymore. You'll know for yourself. Do you know the Christian world is telling us the same thing? Do you know that many Seventh-day Adventists now are doing the same thing? They're saying, well, the law doesn't really matter. It's not as important as what we once thought. To the very close of the controversy in heaven, the great usurper continued to justify himself. When it was announced that with all his sympathizers he must be expelled, then the rebel leader boldly avowed his contempt for the Creator's law. He reiterated his claim that angels needed no control, but they should be left to follow their own will 
which would ever guide them right. He denounced the divine statutes as a restriction of their liberty. He declared that it was his purpose to secure the abolition of law, that freed from this restraint, the host of heaven might enter upon a more exalted and more glorious state of existence. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.